All right, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're starting a brand new series called Advent. You should also receive some notes. If you got some notes, wave them at me just so I can see them. All right, good. So uh, you can take some notes, follow along. You got your scriptures in there and on the screen. Definitely no way you can miss it. How many love Christmas? Who loves Christmas in here? Any Christmas people? We're not there yet? Okay, y'all still got a Thanksgiving hangover going on over here. How many had a good Thanksgiving? Anybody have a good Thanksgiving? Who, who baked a turkey? If you baked a turkey, raise your hand. If you fried a turkey, raise your hand. Yep, I did too. All right. Nice, 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 nice. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love the Christmas holidays. I, I, it's just an awesome time to, to uh, get together with family and so much that, that goes on. Let's, let's do a survey. Y'all want to do a survey? Y'all participating with me in a survey. Let's find out how much Christmas festivities we have going on here. How many of you are real Christmas tree people. You put up a real Christmas tree. Like you get a real one. Raise your hand. Like eight of you. How many of you put up a fake one? Fake Christmas. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. So last, yesterday, we, we, didn't do, we didn't do the early Christmas trees. I know some people put up their Christmas tree like in July, but uh, we put ours... We put ours up yesterday, so Lindsay was like, hey, I want to I get our Christmas tree and put it up, and here's a really cool thing. So last year, we lived in a house that was like 1,100 square feet. It was tiny, and we have three boys, and a, we had a big old dog. It was just, it was tiny, and so I have this, this, this fake Christmas tree. It's like six and a half feet tall, and, uh, and I had to assemble it and all that stuff. You got to fluff it. You know what I'm talking about? Lindsay was like, you're a good fluffer. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to take that, by the way. <laughs> But I am the fluffing king. And so last year, though, we moved into a house that's a whole lot bigger, and it's got a big upstairs attic. And so guess what? Last year when I, when I took down the tree, I didn't take it down. I just moved it to the attic. So last, yesterday she's like, I like the tree. I was like, I got that for you. No problem. I went to the attic, got it, brought it downstairs. I was like, bam, I'm done. Okay, all right. Fluffing. It's all, that, that's my, I, I love it. So now I love Christmas because I don't have to deal with the tree. But uh, I love that. How many, how many of you hang an angel on the top of the tree? You put an angel on the top. Where's your hand? How many put a star on the top? How many put a bow on the top? Get out of here. You don't need, no, I'm joking. All right. How many put nothing on the top? You just, how many don't care? Okay, all right. How many Black Friday shoppers? You did it. Oh, there's a couple crazies in here. All right. How many Black Friday sleepers? Come on, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all know somebody got beat up at Walmart this Friday. <laughs> somebody did. Okay, let's see. How many of you put gifts under the tree before Christmas? You wrap them, like you get them, you wrap them, you put them under the tree. You, they're, they're out there for your kids to torment you. Okay, all right. How many of you wait until Christmas and you, then you put them out like Christmas Eve or Christmas? You put it out then. Okay, there's a couple of you. If you got small kids, how many you know that is tormenting to put it out? Is that mine? Is that my name? Is that? Stop it. Okay, uh, let's get real serious here. How many of you love the movie Elf? How many love the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Okay, Elf, who likes Elf better? Who likes National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? That's what I'm talking about. I love snots. Okay, that's, I love it. I love Christmas. I love the season. I love all that comes with this season and the, the expectation and the, the countdown for the big day and the arrival of it all. You know, in our lives, we have a lot of times in our lives where we have kind of these big, big moments, these big days that we can't, we can't wait for. You know, as kids, you know, they definitely can't wait for Christmas. I remember I couldn't wait until I could drive. How many remember that day when you couldn't, couldn't wait till you got your driver's license? Like, I got my driver's license. Get out the way. 
All right, that, I, that was a big day for me. I remember when I graduated, that was a big day for me. Couldn't wait till I graduated high school and was done. Um, get, getting married. Come on, how many know you can't wait till you, sometimes you can't wait till you get married. You got that countdown, you set the date, and then you got the countdown, and, and usually your wife or your wife-to-be, like, she, she knows, like, the days, you know, the hours, how many, the countdown of what's coming on with this expectation of what this day, this big day is going to be and how's it, how it's going to go. And we have that and it's this festive thing and it's awesome. And then you get married and then what's the next big thing? Kids, right? When we're going to have our first baby. How many remember your first baby? The first baby. How many forgot about your first baby because you already had other babies so you forgot? No, okay. The first baby. I remember like when we found out we were going to have Josiah, it was such a, such a big day. And we, we told our family and all that and, and, and told all these people. And of course, you go into the doctor and then you, you find out what the, what the what is. You find out what the, the sex of it is. Y'all remember that, that moment when you're, you're looking and trying to spot, what, is there something? Is there not? What's going on here? And you, and you got all the celebration, anticipation, and then you got your due date. And there's countdown, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to be a father, you know. And there's this countdown of what happens, and everybody's all amped up and ready for this big day of when this baby is going to be born, this big arrival. And then, of course, the baby finally shows up, and there's festivities, and it's just an awesome day. And much like that is what Advent is actually all about. How many of you in here have, have ever celebrated Advent or gone through Advent before? Raise your hand. How many of you have never gone through Advent before? Is there a number of you? There's a number of you. Advent, actually, if you were to strip down the word and find out what the root word of Advent means, Advent means the coming or the arrival. Advent is actually the celebration of the coming of the baby Jesus, the Savior child. But not only is it the coming of the baby Jesus and the expectation, anticipation of that day, but it was also the second coming of Jesus. How many know that Jesus came as a baby the first time, but how many know he's not coming back as a baby the second time? He's coming back as a king on a white horse taking names. This is the, this is the God that we serve. And there's so much anticipation and excitement that comes in this Advent season as we celebrate Jesus and his coming to earth. Now you would think, though, that with the advertisement and the commercialization of this holiday, um, that it would be hard to miss Christmas. There's no way you could miss Christmas. I mean, it is the most celebrated, the most anticipated day of the year. Christmas is the only holiday that gets an entire month. I mean, nobody gives an entire month to like 4th of July, you know? Nobody gives an entire month to Valentine's Day. But we give an entire month to this day because it is one of the most epic days of all of history. Actually, this is a day that even divides BC and AD. You know, this is a day that you get to find out when your birthday is because of this day. It's a big day. And yet, even though with all of the Christmas trees and lights and parties and cards and music and gifts and shopping, we can often miss Christmas for the same three reasons that the people at the first Christmas missed Christmas. And so what I'd like to do is uh, I've titled this message, Don't Miss Christmas, because I think many people miss it. Not that they don't miss the parties and they miss the activities and miss all the, the, the hype of Christmas, but I think they miss the essence of what Christmas really is all about. And Advent is an opportunity for us to take from December 1st 
to December 25th, 25 days, and for us to reorient our hearts and our minds and our affections on the real reason of why the birth child came. And so what I want to do is I want to share three kind of stories, three different people, look at three different people in the Christmas story and how they missed Christmas. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes and see if maybe some of these may apply for you. But before I do that, let me ask you a quick question. What is the first word that comes to mind when you think of the holidays? Between Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that is in between, what are some words that come to mind for you? I'll let you, I'll let you shout them out to me. What are some words that you think of when you think of the holidays? What's that? Family. Stress. I heard stress. <laughs> what was another one? Family. family. I heard family. Giving. Giving. Yes. Any others? Let me tell you my word. Busy. Anybody relate to that one? The first person that we're going to look at in our story today is the innkeeper. When Mary and Martha, or Mary and Martha, when Mary, no, that's another story. <laughs> Not in this one. Uh, when Mary and Joseph came to find shelter for Jesus, there was the innkeeper was the first person that they met. And the number one reason why the innkeeper missed Christmas was he was too busy. Fill in your blank there. He was too busy. Let's look in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It says, and, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger, because there was, what those, what's those two words? No room for them in the end. Now, how many of you know, like on a business side, if you're looking at the in, innkeeper's perspective, no room is a good, that's good, right? I mean, from the innkeeper's side, that's good. I mean, that means business is booming. This is the place to be. No room in the end. The business is booming. We're making money. All is well. And, and I don't think in the story the innkeeper is an evil man. I just think he's a really busy man. And busyness with his business caused him to miss the greatest opportunity in his life because he was so busy. He missed this moment. Now think about this for just a moment. If he would have not been as busy and if he would have welcomed them into his inn, imagine the stories that the innkeeper could have told. Can you imagine that? You know, come, come stay at the number one hotel chosen by God himself. I mean, that would be a good storyline. Come stay here where the son of God ranks it as great. Two thumbs up. I mean, this is the place to be. This, is the, this would be the hotel to be at, and yet this hotel misses it. This inn misses it because this innkeeper is way, way too busy. He has no room for them. Now, I thought about this. You know, it doesn't say a lot about the innkeeper at all. All it says is that there's no room for him. But I have to think, I mean, this guy's got to be so busy. I mean, think about this for a minute. He doesn't even let a pregnant woman in. Like, the woman's about to give birth. And, and supposedly, like, she had the baby real soon. So how many ladies in here that you're about to give birth, how many know, like, you don't even have, like, good faces? Like, it's like, I'm ready for this thing. Come out. You don't have, you don't have no, I mean, imagine, like, the lobby. Like, hey, can we get one room? We don't have no room. You got no room? Like, I'm going to go here. It's coming. And, and the innkeeper is like, I got stuff going on. Okay, you, you don't have to get out of here. And think about how busy this guy had to be to totally miss. Like, he could have at least let her into his room. 
But he didn't. Because he was so busy. And I, and I think about that oftentimes and relate that to us. How many of us in our own lives, we're so busy, we don't have room for Jesus either? We have no room for him. With, we're, we're so preoccupied with this Christmas season of shopping and decorating and going to parties and, and I gotta get the presents and I gotta get this and I, and I gotta get that and I, we spend our, our money on the newest gadgets and then have nothing left to give to God. We spend our time in all these other places and yet don't have enough to give to God. And let me, let me say this, if we miss Christ, we miss Christmas. If we miss Christ, we miss Christmas. God, I pray that during this Advent season, we don't miss Christ, but we, we see him, we find him, and we make room for him. Now, going back to the baby analogy, you know, when Lindsay and I found out that we were going to have Josiah, and, and all of you in here know this, if you had your first child, is one of the things that you do in, in anticipation for this child coming is you make room, Right? So you find usually some place in your house, whether that's an actual room or some place within your home, and you begin to make preparations for this arrival of what is to come. And so, you know, you, you got to get the crib, and then you got to get the matching, you know, you got to get the matching sheets and comforter, because it, God forbid a child goes into a crib that's not matching sheets and comforter. You know what I mean? So you got to get the matching. Everything's got to match. Got to match with the curtains. You know, everything's got to be curtains. You got to get towels. You got to get the baby towels, like with the, for the baby, and you got to get the stuff for them. And you you make all this preparation. Then you got to get you got to get all these clothes for this baby, and you got this baby shower. With this whole baby shower is all about anticipation for this baby to come and give you all this stuff for this baby. All everything is built up for the arrival of this special prize. And then finally, you, you, you have the baby, and you put it in the car, and you take it home, and you realize, like, I'm coming home with a baby. And then you get home, and then you don't sleep for, like, two years. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you are, not, are sleeping right now because you have a baby. And so that's just the anticipation and the excitement, and you make room for it. There's a Christmas carol that says, let every heart prepare him room. And my prayer in this Advent season is let every heart in here prepare him room. May we not be so busy with the stuff of Christmas and the things of Christmas that we miss Christ himself. But may we make our hearts prepared him room. So the question is, how will your schedule make room for Jesus? How will your time make room for Jesus? How will your budget make room for Jesus? Revelations 3.20, it says this. Look what, look what this verse says. It says, look, look, I stand at the door and knock. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And if you hear my voice, and if you open the door, I will come in, and we will share gumbo together. Because how many of you know that's what Jesus likes? That's his favorite dish. Y'all know that? That and uh, boiled crawfish. And so we'll share a meal together and we'll be friends. Now notice this. Jesus, Jesus is on the outside and you're on the inside. And it's the picture of a home. And Jesus is knocking on the home. And there's two things that, that happen here. He's knocking. Because how many of you know Jesus is always knocking? 
I don't know if you realize that Jesus is always knocking. He's always knocking. The question is two things. Do we hear him? And then do we open the door for him? And so this whole Christmas season, this whole Advent is for us to quiet ourselves, to quiet all the noise of culture, and let's hear, for, hear from Jesus. And let's open the door to him and say, come on in. Let's have some gumbo. Let's be friends. And really, that's, that's salvation at the end of the day. Salvation at the end of the day is, come on in. Come on in. I made room for you. How many of you know you make room for what you love the most? Come on, you got a new car, new motorcycle, new boat? You make room for it, right? You got a spot for it. You have a kid, a baby? You make room for the baby. You, you have a spot for it. So let's make room for Jesus this year. You know, Sundays when you come to church, you know what you're doing? You're making room. God, I'm making room for you today. And here's the cool thing. Every time you make room for God, he always fills it. Every time we make room for him, he always fills it. So that's the first person is the innkeeper. Let's look at the second person, King Herod. Now, King Herod's issue, the reason why he missed Christmas was he was too fearful He was too fearful. Matthew 2, 1 through 3 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and asking. So this is what they do. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The wise men see a star. They come to Jerusalem where the king is. And uh, they say, they come into King Herod. And this is what they ask King Herod. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And now look at verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Now, why would King Herod be deeply disturbed? Well, here's, here's some kind of backstory on King Herod. King Herod was, was actually an Arab. He wasn't a Jewish man. He was an Arab man. He was under Roman authority to actually oppress all of the Jews. And so the, the title of King Herod, actually his title, well, I'll get to that in a minute. King Herod was so scared that people were trying, that people would try to overthrow him. Now listen to how demented this guy is. He's so scared that everybody else would try to overthrow him that he killed his wife. And then he killed his two kids. And then he knew that his wife's family probably wouldn't like that. So he killed all of his wife's family like her, his, her, his, his mother-in-law and father-in-law and killed all them. I mean, this guy was so demented that he thought that people were just, everybody was out to, to gain control that he just started killing everybody. And here's the craziest part of all that. Nearing the end of his life, he actually knew that he was about to die. And so what he decided to do is he, he went and he, got, he, had, he had his soldiers go gather all of the Jewish leaders, any Jewish leaders, gather them up and throw them in prison. And this is what he said. I'm about to die, and I know that when I die, people are going to be rejoicing because I was a terrible king. So because I don't want them rejoicing when I die, when I die, I want you to kill all these guys because I want them to cry at least for them. Come on, how many you know that's a, that's, a, that's a jacked up king? And you thought Obama was bad. <laughs> I'm telling you, this was a king that was ruthless, that was fearful, that always wanted control. So much to the point, now listen to this, the title that King Herod had, King Herod, his title was King of the Jews. So guess what happens when they show up? What does the wise men ask them? Can we put that scripture back up? The wise men ask him, where is, what does he say? 
king of the Jews. And so he goes, well, I'm right here. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's the real king of the Jews, and he's been born today. Where is he? And so as soon as he heard that, guess what? A, a, a switch went off, and, and, and so he tells the wise men, hey, listen, go find him, and then when you find him, tell me that you found him, and I want to go worship him too. Well, we knew that that wasn't the case. He actually wanted to kill him because if you fast forward and find out the wise men didn't go back and tell him, and so guess what King Herod does? He says, all of the two-year-olds in Jerusalem, two and under, kill them all. This guy's ruthless. He, he's constantly in fear that someone is going to come and, and be the next king and overthrow him. Here's the real issue that King Herod had. And this is where I think we can relate to him. Now, I, you're not killing anybody, at least that I don't know of. But if you did, welcome to our Savior's Church. We're glad you're here. Jesus helps you too. <laughs> but most of us in here are not killing our mother-in-laws and people around us. But I think this is where I think we can relate with King Herod. The deeper issue that King Herod, though, was that he didn't want anybody else to be in control except for him. Now, I think we can relate to that, though. Come on, how many, how many be honest? We like control. I love being in control. I don't like anybody else being in control. I like being in control. And, and Herod missed Christmas because he wanted to be king and he didn't want anybody else to be. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. The number one reason why we are miserable in our lives is because we want to be our own king. Or we're surrounded around a bunch of other people who want to be their own king. Sin at its core is I'm king. Serve me, help me, take care of me. And when you don't, I'm going to make sure that your life is miserable. That is the essence of sin. Sin is we are the king of our own lives. And for King Herod, he wanted to be king. He didn't want anybody else to be king. And I think for many of us, we, we, we love Jesus. We like Jesus. We want Jesus to be our friend. We want Jesus to be our guide. We want Jesus to be our forgiver. We just don't like Jesus being our Lord. And as Pastor Zach said last, last, last weekend is, I mean, really, if God is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. God wants to be the Lord of everything in our lives. The truth is that you were made for Christ, you were made by Christ, and until you realize that, your life will never make sense. That's why for many of you, you've been trying to find so much of your fulfillment and satisfaction in things and in people and in stuff. The problem is that continued, comes up short and it continues you have this continual longing for, like, I still don't have peace. That's why the, the book of, of, of Song of Solomon's in Proverbs is a man who, Solomon, who had everything in the world. He had all the women you could imagine. He had all the money you could imagine. And yet he, he realized that life was nothing apart from Jesus. And then you go and you find a book of Job, which is right after that. And, and Job lost everything in the world and realized nothing else in the, matter, in the world mattered without Jesus as well. So you got a picture of a man who had everything and realized he needed Jesus, and you have a picture who lost everything and realized he needed Jesus. And so for us today, it's a matter of are we too fearful to let God come in and, and rule our lives and make our lives make sense? We are too fearful, like King Herod. And last one, number three, is the religious leaders. Now, here's the deal. This group is the most shocking because these are the guys who should have never missed Christmas. 
See, the innkeeper was, er- was, was ignorant. The, the King Herod was fearful and a tyrant. But the religious leaders, they, they shouldn't have missed this. They should have known it. They just didn't care. And so the religious leaders were too familiar. Write that down. They were too familiar with what was going on. Now, track with me in verse 4 and 5 of Matthew 2. It says, Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked them. So now Herod calls a meeting. So the wise men come to King Herod and say, hey, where's, this, where's the king of the Jews? And Herod's like, I don't know. And so who does he call? He calls all of the pastors and the priests and all the religious guys who knew all this stuff. And so this is what Herod asked them. Hey, where's this Messiah supposed to be born? And this is what they say to him. Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will, not, who, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. See, a lot of people in Israel have been waiting for over 700 years for this fr- promise to be fulfilled. If you look in your Bible, you, you, your Bible is divided into two sections. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. The back of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, is a book called Malachi. The first book of the New Testament is a book called Matthew. Do you know how much time is in between those two? And it's not a page. 400 years. 400 years of God being silent, not saying anything. I can only imagine what those 400 years were like. You, you, you've got to think that this promised redeemer, this one that's going to come and save us, like when is he coming? And how much hope had to be lost in that time? I think we can relate to that. I think there's many of you that probably came in here today and things just seem hopeless. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to to do something. For God to show up. And it just... It just seems like it's not happening. And these religious leaders study the Bible, memorize the Bible, knew the Bible. I mean, no one knew the Bible more than these guys did. So when, the, when King Herod goes, hey, where's, where's the king of the Jews? They're like, Bethlehem? I don't even need a lifeline for that one. That one's easy. What else you got? And he says, yeah, he's going to be in Bethlehem, and he's going to be a savior. They knew all the prophecies of what was happening. Here's the craziest part of, out of all this story, though. Do you know how far Jerusalem is from Bethlehem? Five miles. Instead of the religious leaders looking at the wise men and saying, the king is here, the savior's here, hey, I'll take you to him. Come on, let's go. No, no, no. They were so familiar and so indifferent and so could not care. They said, yeah, it's five miles. It's over there in Bethlehem. And the wise men jet out to go worship the king, and the religious leaders just stay right where they are. Don't even care. Don't even care. Now, here's the reason why I bring this up. Because for those in here that have been churched for any amount of time, you've been in church for any amount of time longer than maybe today being your first time, this could be us. We are, 
we are so close to knowing what the truth is that we miss the truth. I mean, think about these. These guys would rather read about the Savior than go see the Savior. How jacked up is that? I'd rather read about and know about and memorize about the Savior than actually go see him in person. Like, Jesus, five miles away. You can, get him, you can be there in, a, in an hour or two. Ah, no, I'm good. They didn't even care to go the five miles to go see him. And I think for you and I, this can be what happens to us. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a kid who was raised in a Christian home, and I'm so thankful for it. I went to a private school my whole life, and I'm so thankful for it. I went through all of the religious stuff, the, the vacation Bible schools and the summer camps and the Sunday school, and, and I went through all of that. And it wasn't until later on in my high school years that I realized I had become religiously inoculated. Now, this is what I mean by that. So, well, let me give you an example, and then I'll, I'll come back to what I mean by that. So a couple, uh, it was probably about seven or eight years ago, I was a youth pastor here. And there was a, there was a student that came to our youth group, and he called me and asked if, if I would go and pick him up for, for our service. And so I went to his house and uh, knocked on the door, and uh, I, I hear, hey, you can come on in. And I, have another, I had another guy with me. And so I open the door, and I walk in, and as soon as I open the door, this horrendous stench comes out this, this house. I'm like, oh my God, what is that? And he's like, come on in. And I walk into this house, and there are cats everywhere. And not only is there cats everywhere, but there's feces everywhere, all over this house. And I, I literally, I could not stomach even, I, I was like, you ready? You know, like I'm trying to hurry up and, and get out the house. So we hurry up and, and get out the house. And I, and I asked the guy, I was like, man, like, dude, what's the deal? Like, bro, like, your house, man. And he's like, what? And I realized he had been in it for so long, it was normal. Like, I came in from the outside not being in it, and I, I was overwhelmed. That is what it actually means. To actually be inoculated means that you've been given something for so long that you think that that's become normal, or you develop a resistance to it. And here's what I've learned. Oftentimes, the people that are farthest from God are the people who are closest to him and know the most about him. As a kid, because I grew up in church my whole life and I, you know, I've heard the Christmas story for decades now, I came to a point where I knew it all. I didn't need to experience God anymore because I knew all about him. I knew everything that there was to do. I knew everything that I was supposed to do. I knew, I knew all that stuff. And I realized, man, I was more, I was further away from Christ than the person who was doing drugs. Because the person who was doing drugs at least knew that they needed Jesus. I felt like I didn't need him. And I, I'm telling you, my greatest fear for this church is that we ever get to a place where we don't feel like we need Jesus. Or that we ever get to a place where we feel like the story, especially the Christmas story, just becomes not inspiring, not amazing anymore. And isn't it amazing that when God came to earth, 
when God finally wanted to come down in human form, not a single religious person was invited. The priest didn't get a warning. Hey, Jesus is coming. Who did he invite? Wise men through a star and shepherds, the lowest of the low. Not a religious person was ever invited. And if there's anything that we want to be furthest from in this church is to be religious. God didn't come for rules and regulation. He came for relationship. Amen? He came for you and I to be in relationship with him. And today there's going to be a lot of us who will participate over these coming weeks with the Christmas traditions. You'll put up lights. You'll buy gifts. You'll gather with your family. You'll do parties. You'll do the school pageants. You'll put up your tree. But I pray that you will look a lot deeper and and ask the question, why do we do these things? And we do all this because God desired a relationship with you and I, and we don't want to miss that. See, you can put up Christmas lights and still be in the dark. So many people will experience Christmas, but will have no hope. So many people will go to parties and give gifts, but have no joy. God, I pray for us that we would not be so inundated with busyness and activities that we miss Jesus. That we miss this, this whole reason why we're here. So which of these for you do you kind of find yourself in? Too busy? Too fearful? Too familiar? Which one is it for you? It can be all three for me, to be honest with you. I, I find myself in each one of them. But you know, I, I find rather intriguing about this Matthew chapter 2 is when you read it, everybody involved had the same information. Everybody knew that, the, that, the, that Jesus was, was born, and everybody knew where he was. But think about this. There was different responses. The innkeeper knew about it, and he was too busy, and so he missed him. Herod knew about it, and he tried to kill him. The religious leaders knew about it, but they didn't care, and so they ignored him. But there was one group that knew about it and did something totally different. And that's what I want to end today's message on, because I don't want to just keep talking about how do we miss him. I want to talk about how do we not miss him? How do we not miss Christmas this season? And here's the first one, is we seek Jesus. The people that I'm speaking of are the wise men. When they saw the star and they heard about Jesus and they heard, the first thing they did is we've got to find him. We've got to find this guy. And they went to Herod. Where, where is, they finally tracked him down and they found him. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says this. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, what's the promise? Come on, let's say it a little louder. You will what? If you look for me, you'll find me. If you look for me, you'll find me. During this Advent season, I pray that we would look for Jesus. We'll look for Jesus. I know for Lindsay and and I and and our family, um, we've already bought an Advent devotional for our family. And so for 25 days, from December 1st all the way up to December 25th, we'll do an Advent devotional with our boys, walking them through what the meaning of Christmas is. And I don't know about you, my kids, when they think about Christmas, they think about presents. Anybody else in here? And the number one thing I don't want my kids to consume their minds is what they want. I want them to reflect on Jesus and on who he is. And so 
Lindsay and I are going to be very intentional about setting time aside as a family to, to do that. And I would encourage you to do that. Today, later on this afternoon, I'll post on Facebook a bunch of Advent resources for you. Devotionals that you can do with your family. Devotionals that you can do on your own uh, for you. If, you. if you have a version app, how many have the Bible on your phone? If you have the Bible on your phone. If you go, if you go on your version app, you can look up Bible plans, and there is hundreds of Advent devotionals. I would challenge you and encourage you to find one, even if it's a seven-day or 14-day or three-day or whatever, but just do something. Seek Jesus this season. May our kids learn more about Jesus this season than the Toys R Us magazine. Y'all with me here? Now, nothing wrong with Toys R Us magazine. I want you to have fun this Christmas season. Uh, I'm not trying to be ball humbug and Scrooge. Because we're going to have fun, and we're going we're gonna to have a lot of loud music, and we're going to eat a lot, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna decorate our tree, and we're going to put lights up. We're going to do all that fun stuff, but I'm not going to do that and miss Jesus, though. We're going to do all that, and we're going to point them to Jesus the whole way we do it. Seek Jesus, number one. And number two, last but not least, worship Jesus. See, the whole reason we give gifts at Christmas is because the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, now, I want you to imagine this for, for a moment. I, I know in our house, you know, our, our, our family, we're always talking about, like, who, whose birthday's next and, and, um, and, and who's going to have the next birthday, and we, we're planning the parties and all that stuff. Now, I want you to imagine, imagine you went to a birthday party for, you know, one of your, one, one of your kids or a nephew or something or a grandkid, and you went to the party, and, uh, and, and instead of buying gifts for the birthday boy, you decided, I'm going to buy gifts for everybody that comes to the party. And so you get to the party, and, and, and the birthday boy's there, and so excited you're there, and you bring in these big old gifts, and he's like, oh my goodness, you got that for me? You're like, no, actually, I got this for your mom. <laughs> what? Well, did you get that other one for me? No, that's actually for your dad. Well, what about that one? Oh, no, that, that's for all the other kids that came. Like, imagine how, one, imagine how distraught your kid would be <laughs> that everybody that came to the party bought gifts for everybody else but didn't buy any gifts for them. One, the kid would be extremely distraught, and then, the, then, then they'd probably be extremely upset. And yet I say all that because during Christmas, Christmas seems to be the only holiday where we buy gifts for everybody else. We just don't buy it for the birthday boy himself. Jesus doesn't get any gifts. Or does he? I hope he does. Because here's the question. What, what do you buy somebody who has it all? I mean, like, Jesus wants the latest iPod? I mean, he's want an iPhone? What is he? Jesus, what you want? The, the thing is, what do you give someone who, who has everything? Well, you give him what he doesn't have. And what does he not have? Well, he doesn't have your love unless you give it to him. He doesn't have your heart unless you give it to him. He doesn't have your trust unless you give it to him. God, I pray that in this Advent season, we would come and we would worship God and give him our lives. We would make room for him and him alone. Because there's nothing better that you could give your life to. There's nothing better that you could put your trust in. There's nothing better that you could love more than, than Jesus himself. I want us to bow our heads in this place. I want us to, you can just close your stuff right there where you are. And I want this just to be kind of a, a, a moment for us right now. 
you know, we're going to leave here and, and the volume's going to get loud again. The commercialization of everything's going to skyrocket again. There's going to be the hustle and bustle activity of, of all the stuff over these coming weeks of just things that are going on. We have stuff going on here at the church. All that's happening. And all that is good, but all that loses meaning when we don't anchor it to the person who came to give us hope, to give us life, to give us joy. And so, God, I pray right now for, for every person in here, God, that we would, in these next three weeks, four weeks, God, that we would, we would turn down the volume of what culture is feeding us and we would turn up the volume of your spirit in our lives. God, you're knocking on the door of our hearts. God, we want to hear you. We want to make room for you. Or we want to anticipate the greatest gift that was ever given, which is Jesus. You are our greatest treasure. You are our greatest gift. And so, God, amidst all the, the lights and the trees and the gifts and the parties, may we remind ourselves, remind our families, remind our children, remind all those around us, God, that, that you are our hope. That, that present we get doesn't bring us joy. But you bring us joy. God, that, that you would bring peace. Lord, for many people, the holiday season is is sometimes a dreaded one. Not only because of stress, but God, because of maybe relational turmoil that's, that's in relationships, God, whether that's in, in marriage ones or in family. God, I pray, Lord, that during this holiday season, you would mend and you would heal and you would restore marriages and families and relationships. God, that you would bring joy back into places that were desolate. You'd bring hope back into situations that seemed hopeless. Right now, I, I, I want to, while our heads are bowed, just give an opportunity for, for those that are in here that you walked in and maybe your situation seems hopeless. And maybe if, if you were to be really honest, you, you would honestly say, you know what, I, I, I haven't given control of my life over to the Lord. I haven't given him. I haven't surrendered. I haven't made room for him in my, in my heart and in my life. And today, I feel like I need to do that. I need to, I need to recognize that Jesus came not only to, to pay for my sins, but to forgive my sins and to give me a new life and give me new hope, give me new joy. And if that's you in this place and you want to meet Jesus today for the first time and surrender your heart to the Lord. Come on, no one looking around. But if that's you all across this room, you want hope and life and joy that only can be found in Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. All across this room. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands going up all over the place. Thank you. I see it. You can put it down. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, now we're going to pray all this together. Because we all need to remind ourselves of this as we pray this. So why don't you pray this with me? Say, Dear Father, thank you for sending your son to this earth for me. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But you came because you love me. Thank you for paying for my sins on the cross. Today, I turn from my sins 
and I turn to you. I put you as king of my heart. Today I make room for you. I pray that my life would honor you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, OSC family, can we celebrate with all those who made that decision?